Welcome to Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church, Avon Park, Florida. Your salvation is possible because you are with Christ. You are in Christ. So this whole idea of identifying with sinners, he was becoming like you and me. If he identifies and takes your sin and your imperfection and your death, what do you receive by identifying with him? You get what is his. You get perfection. Welcome to the midweek edition of Living Faith. The midweek edition features teaching from our Wednesday night student Bible study, FBC 180. Our current series is Foretaste, Corporate Worship and Eternity. Did you know that our corporate worship time on Sunday morning is just a sample, a foretaste of heaven? As believers gather to sing praises, offer prayers and hear God speak to us through his word, we are in essence rehearsing for eternity where we will, with the angels and the saints from every tribe and tongue, join in to honor and glorify God through Jesus Christ. This series is helping our students understand the importance and centrality of corporate worship on Sunday morning by teaching them what the Bible has to say about why and how we worship as a believing community. So get your Bible and pen and let's join in on Foretaste, Corporate Worship and Eternity. Tonight we're going to continue in our series Foretastes by looking at the topic of baptism. All right? Baptism, the symbol, the sign of being raised to new life. Raise your hand if you have seen, raise your hand if you have seen a baptism performed in a Baptist church. Okay? Uh, raise your hand if you've seen a baptism performed in another kind of church that does it differently. Like, um, how, how did you see it? Catholicism, like sprinkling, pouring it. Have you seen them just do the cross on the head? Okay. Yeah, different denominations over the centuries of Christianity have done it differently. There is a biblical mandate, though, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Baptism signifies something very central to Christianity. Okay, Martin Luther said that the center of the gospel, the center of the gospel for Martin Luther, the reformers, he said it was justification by faith. Okay, the Roman Catholics said it's justification by faith plus works. Over a process of, over a long period of time, you were progressively saved by doing good things. That's Roman Catholicism. Okay, going to church, taking the Lord's Supper, being baptized, being married. All of those things according to Catholicism is very important. Martin Luther said the center of the gospel is justification by faith. Calvin came along, John Calvin, another reformer. He said, yes, justification by faith is important, but the center of the gospel, the center of the gospel is union with Christ. What does it mean to have union with Christ? Somebody just take a stab at it. No candy, just an answer. Being one with Christ. Christ, who is the Son of God, who is God, who was sinless, who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross, who was buried, who raised again, and who ascended up to heaven. That Jesus you can be united with through works? No. Through doing good things? No. Through what? Mm, worship comes from this. Not baptism by itself. We already said this. This is salvation. Faith alone. Very good. Mr. Luther over here. Martin Luther over here. Faith alone. Faith alone in what? Well, in grace alone. Yeah, God is extending his grace, but we, we have to exhibit faith towards something what is the thing that we have faith in what is it that we're having faith in Jesus. 
Jesus and the good news about him. What's the other word we use for good news sometimes? Gospel. The gospel that Jesus was sinless, died, was buried, and rose again for our sin and for our salvation. When you have faith in that message, when you believe in that message, the Bible says you pass from death to life, from spiritual deadness to spiritual life. The Spirit resurrects you the same way He resurrected Jesus. He resurrects your spirit from the dead, gives you new life through faith in Christ, not in works alone. This is because you are made one with Christ. If you look at the New Testament, there's a lot of withs and ends and cause of, and it all relates to Jesus. Your salvation is possible because you are with Christ. You are in Christ. You are with Him. You are united to Him. So because Jesus is accepted by God the Father, and you are in Him by faith, you are accepted by God the Father. So what do you think happens if you are not found in Jesus Christ? Are you accepted by the Father? No. no. You are rejected by the Father. Why? Well, you don't believe in Him. There's a very rudimentary cause here, though. Why are you rejected by God apart from Jesus? Somebody say it. It's very simple. Huh? Well, yeah. <laughs> That's very foundational, yes. There's a very simple cause. I haven't heard anybody say it yet. It's very simple. You're a sinner. This is, I know. Well, you might have said I didn't hear it. I'm sorry. Mar, you did very well. You said sinner. Very good, okay? Yes, our basic problem with God is sin. We are united to Jesus by faith. Therefore, we're accepted by God. Let's look at a couple of these statements. This is something I want to hammer into your heads. Because every time I ask that question like I did tonight, how are we accepted by God? How do we experience the new birth? For some reason, even us as Baptists, we like to throw out baptism. <laughs> how are you saved? How are you saved? How are you made one with Jesus? Baptism. Everybody, somebody always says it. Let's read this together. Just say it with me very simply. Baptism does not save. Is that unclear? Baptism does not save. Next. Say this with me. Baptism does not make you saved. That means if I were to ask you, if I were to ask you tonight, how do you know you're going to heaven? If I were to ask you your testimony, how did you come to faith in Christ? If your answer is, because I've been baptized, if I ask you to tell me about the time you were saved and your immediate answer is something about your baptism and you miss the gospel, you miss faith in Christ, that's the wrong answer. Okay, Baptism does not save and baptism does not make you saved. So you cannot look back on a baptism and think, because I have been baptized, I have been saved. Those are two separate things. We're going to talk about what that means next. Baptism without understanding the gospel means absolutely nothing. We have a problem in America, and namely within evangelical and really within Southern Baptist churches. And that is over the last 200 years, the average age of baptism has gone from 18 to 21 years old down to 4 and 5 years old. Now let me ask you a question. Is there any difference between baptizing a 4 or 5 or 6 year old that doesn't understand the gospel? And a Roman Catholic baptizing a baby who doesn't understand the gospel? Is there any difference there? No. They're both wrong. 
Okay? And for some reason, it, 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 I don't know if it's like we feel that it's some kind of rite of passage. It's something that we're waiting on. This is how they grow up. This is what just children ought to do when they go to church all their lives. But we've submitted children to baptism at younger and younger and younger ages and not necessarily making sure they understand what even the gospel is. They can't formulate necessarily why they need to be baptized. What is faith in Christ? Why do you need to be saved? Okay? We've reduced the gospel to this. And you tell me if this sounds familiar for you, because it's, it's how I learned it when I was little. We've reduced the gospel to this for children. Raise your hand, and this is not for now. I'm telling you how I was uh, witness to as a child. Raise your hand, little kids, if you want to go to heaven. Um, this is me. I'm not talking about you. This is my story. I'm in Bible school, and they say, here's hell, here's heaven. These little artist renderings, okay? There's fire, and then there's prettiness. And they say, who wants to go to hell? And everybody's like, no. Who wants to go to heaven? Me. Okay, well, let's just do this. Let's all bow our heads and ask Jesus into our hearts. Does that sound familiar for anybody? We've reduced the gospel to that. And so kids going to the baptistry now, they know they've asked Jesus in their heart, whatever that means, you won't find it in the Bible. They know that Jesus is their personal Lord and Savior because somebody's told them to say that. And they know that when they get in the baptism pool and somebody says, hey, do you know that you're saved? What do you think the kids are going to do in the baptism pool in front of everybody? You think they're going to be like, no, I don't really know. They've been told to nod their head. Yes, you know you're saved. Okay, we'll baptize you. Guess what happens 15, 10 years later when they actually start to understand things? They're confused out of their minds like I was because someone told them that's what the gospel was and it wasn't. Someone told them that's what baptism was and it wasn't. And then everything's all out of order. You have to actually get saved by understanding the gospel and believing in Jesus. And then guess what you have to do? you got to actually be baptized instead of just dipped in water as a six-year-old. And that's the problem we've created for ourselves because of this, because we fail to make sure people understand the gospel and can actually believe in it before we baptize them. And we're going to talk about baptism in a minute. Let's go here. Why do we baptize? One, because Jesus gave baptism to his church so that they might display their union with him in his death and resurrection. We've talked about why not to baptize. We don't baptize to, quote-unquote, save you. We don't baptize you, quote-unquote, because it's a rite of passage for you. It's just what you do when you're little in church. No. We baptize because Jesus gave it to us as a sign of our union with him in his death and resurrection. Very quickly, Leviticus 16, in the Old Testament, the priests bathed with water before and after performing their duties. So back in Leviticus, anybody tell me what the book of Leviticus is about? The Levites. It was instructions to the priests of the Old Testament and the tabernacle as they were wandering in the wilderness and then setting up the promised land in Jerusalem. The Levites were the priests. And before they went in to offer sacrifices and after they went in to offer sacrifices, they ceremonially washed themselves. Number two, this was a ceremonial act. That means there was religious significance to it. It wasn't just like they were washing their hands to go to the bathroom or after they went to the bathroom or something. This was a ceremonial religious act they were doing that symbolized something. It reminded them of their sin and their need for mercy or their need for cleansing. It reminded them of their, their sin, that they need to be cleansed before they can go and worship God. 
Okay, keep that in mind. Next, Gentile converts in the law. So in the Old Testament law, even though the Jews, the Hebrews were God's chosen nation, God's chosen people, Gentiles or non-Jews could become Jews. They could be grafted into the covenant people of God, but there was a specific way they had to do it. One, non-Jews could become part of the covenant community. That's the Jews, the Hebrews, God's chosen people. They could become part of that by conversion, by turning away from their false gods, their idols, and saying that Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is the one true God and living according to His law and worshiping in His temple the way that He has told them. That's the only way Gentiles could come to be a Jew and worship the true God. Number two, the final act of this conversion was being immersed or dipped in a mikvah. And that's the Hebrew word for a pool, a large body of water. And this was often a basin or some sort of hole dug into the ground where the people would actually immerse their whole body, probably just them doing it by themselves. Nobody went in and like dunked them like we baptized. But there was still the symbolism of a Gentile leaving their old way of life, leaving their idolatry, leaving their sin, and by dipping themselves in water. They were signifying being cleansed from all that and embracing the truth in Yahweh and being made part of the covenant community. That's the Old Testament. Okay, we move to the New Testament, but we still have an in-between time. John's baptism. Who's, who, who's this John I'm talking about? John the Baptist, the forerunner to Jesus, the last great prophet, they say. He was, the, he was the spirit of Elijah that came before Messiah came. That's John the Baptist. He came out of the wilderness, and his message was very simple. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He knew Jesus was coming. He knew Messiah was coming, and his job was to prepare the way and to prepare the hearts of Israel. Number one. His message was very simple. John the Baptist baptized people to show their repentance and cleansing. So beyond just this ceremonial washing at the temple for Gentiles who wanted to convert, John the Baptist was saying, we've, we've gotten so far away from honoring God with the law, like the, the time of Amos, it's that same kind of thing. God's judgment is coming. Jesus, the Messiah, is on his way. He didn't know like when or where. He just knew he was on the way, and he was going to make all things right and save the people. He didn't know how. He knew that was coming, and he was preparing the people. So beyond just this ceremonial washing, he says everybody should repent and be baptized in water to show their cleansing from sin and that they desire to follow God and be clean. Number two, though, Jesus. Jesus was baptized by John to identify with us as sinners. Let me ask you a question. John was baptizing people to show them turning away from sin and being cleansed of their unrighteousness. Did Jesus need to do that? No. Jesus was sinless. Jesus was perfect. Jesus was righteous. He had no need to repent in the first place, and he certainly had no need to be baptized to show that he was repenting to other people. So why did Jesus get baptized? Why, when he comes to John, John the Baptist says, Jesus, why do you come to me? I should be baptized by you because he knew who Jesus was. But Jesus says, let it be so for now, for this is God's plan to fulfill all righteousness. Because Jesus, this is a big deal, he was identifying with us as sinners. Now, Jesus had already been born, obviously. He had already lived 30 years on this earth. 
But at the beginning of his public ministry, that's the last three years of his life when he began teaching, preaching, and healing, and doing miracles before the cross and the resurrection, as he began this public ministry, like the inauguration of his public ministry, the first thing he decides to do is to identify with people who had sinned, to identify with people who needed to repent, who needed to be cleansed from their sin. Now, this follows Jesus all the way to the cross because did Jesus need to die for his own sins? No. Whose sins was he dying for? Ours. So this whole idea of identifying with sinners, he was becoming like you and me, showing that I'm taking their place. I'm stepping into their story. I don't need this baptism. They do. The cross doesn't belong to me. It belongs to them. But I'm going to take their baptism because I'm going to take their sin. I'm going to take their cross. I'm going to take their wrath. And I'm going to give them salvation because of it. So Jesus, by being baptized, identifies with us. Keep that in your head. You need to circle that one if you need to, because we're going to come back to it later. Jesus identifies with us. Quickly, let's turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. We've gone over this several times, but this is the basic commandment that Jesus gives to the church. Everybody remembers that this is called the Great Commission. This is the mission, the purpose that Jesus gives the church. Verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Number one. Jesus commands new disciples to be baptized in the triune name. Anybody want to take a stab at what triune means? Aaron? The Trinity. Yeah, it's just the adjective for the noun Trinity. Triune. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? Everybody remember that discussion I gave you anytime you see do this, comma, Remember present tense verbs that end with ing in English? Like, do this, comma, blah, 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 ing. Okay, that means that's how you do it. You make disciples by baptizing. Number two, baptism, therefore, is how we make disciples. The first thing you do to someone that says, I believe in Jesus, you make sure they understand the gospel, you make sure they understand who Jesus is, you make sure they want to give their lives to that, and the way you make disciples out of them is you baptize them. Number three, Baptism is followed by teaching. That's so important. The thing a lot of our gospel crusades have done, they've done a lot of good. Billy Graham has done much, much good for the world in helping people hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and some of them coming to repentance. The bad thing about crusades is it's not a church setting and people often come to faith in Christ maybe or have some experience with Christ or say a prayer or something and then they fall off the face of the earth because there's no church making contact with them. There's no plugging in happening, and people are not discipled. And people don't have the blessing like you are having tonight of learning why it's so important to come to church. So they know that they've had some kind of experience with Jesus, but they never go beyond that because they never plug into a church, they're never, di never discipled, and they're never taught any further. Okay, and that's what's happened to a lot of people, unfortunately. 
Next, let's go to Acts chapter 2. Anybody remember the very, very, very important event that happens in Acts chapter 2? The Holy Spirit (laughs) comes down. Acts chapter 2. This is the day of Pentecost. When Jesus ascended into heaven, here's a little lesson for you. This is great. This Sunday is traditionally celebrated in some Christian churches as Ascension Sunday because 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended back to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. And many churches observe this and sing about it and preach about it because it's an important event. Ten days after that ascension, When Jesus went up to heaven, he told his disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. Okay, I know you don't know what to do right now, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, and Simon, and everyone else. I know you don't know what to do. Just go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. In Acts chapter 2, that's when that happens. They're all in the upper room praying. The Holy Spirit comes down and fills all of them. The tongues of fire sit on their head. They speak in other languages and other tongues they've never, they never learned. They glorify God with this unintelligible language. And then Peter preaches the gospel to those because while they're standing there babbling in this unknown language, people are drawn. They're like, what in the world is going on over there? And so a throng of people go over to the upper room to hear what's going on because all they hear is people shouting and making noises. And they go over there to listen. And some of them say, these people are drunk. But God opens some of their ears, and they actually hear in their own language what the apostles are saying in an unknown language. They hear what they're saying, and they're drawn to it. And then Peter turns to them who can hear and then preaches the gospel to them. So one, Peter preaches the gospel. In other words, those that are attracted by this sign of the Holy Spirit... They come to hear what's going on. Peter then preaches Jesus to them. Jesus, you crucified. He was buried. God raised him up, and he is Lord and Christ. Okay, that's the gospel. Number two, many who hear this are convicted. Everybody know what convicted means? Not like you're convicted and you go to jail, but convicted. When you hear the gospel, sometimes when you hear something about how God wants us to be holy, and you hear something moral from the Bible, the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to convict you, to make you realize something you're doing is not pleasing to Him, and brings you to Him in obedience. That's conviction. So some were convicted and wanted to respond. Number three, Peter says, repent. Very quickly, Acts chapter 2, just verse 37 through 41. So this is after Peter preaches the gospel. I don't want you to to miss the context. Peter has preached the gospel to them. Some were convicted. They wanted to respond. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, when they heard the gospel, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? We hear what you're saying about Jesus. We hear that you say he is Lord in Christ, and we believe that. So what now? What do we do? Verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. 
And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Listen to this order. So those who received his word, those who received and believed the gospel, were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So one, Peter preaches the gospel. Many are convicted, asks, what do we do? Peter says, repent. And, ver and number four, the sign of this repentance is baptism. Baptism is the sign of repentance. Now, there's a pattern that takes place throughout the rest of the book of Acts. I need you to remember what Acts is all about. The Gospels tell the story of who? Jesus. His birth, his life, his ministry, his healings, his miracles, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. Acts picks up and tells about the apostles. What happened immediately after Jesus left, the Holy Spirit comes down, thousands of people are saved on the day of Pentecost, we just read about it, and the church, as you and I know it, is born. People are being preached to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they're coming to faith in Him. So this is the birth of the church, and there's a pattern that emerges. Number one, Paul, the apostle Paul, is baptized after converting. Acts 9.18. Number two, Gentiles are baptized when they receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 10.47. Gentiles, these were Romans even. Number three, the Philippian jailer is baptized. Acts 16.33. Remember when Paul and Silas are released from prison and the guard is very upset because all the prisoners go free, not just Paul and Silas, and he's concerned that he's going to be put to death for letting them go. And he asked Paul, what in the world do I need to do to be saved? And he might be thinking physically, but Paul says, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And it says his whole household believes the gospel and then is baptized. And then lastly, the Ephesians are baptized, Acts 19.5. When Paul visits Ephesus and goes to see the Ephesians who live there, this should sound familiar from the book of Ephesians, it's written to the same people. These new Christians, all they've heard is John's baptism. They were baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan looking forward to Messiah, but they didn't know that he had come. So Paul preaches Jesus to them and then baptizes them in Jesus' name, not under John's baptism, but in the New Testament baptism of Jesus Christ. Okay, So we see this pattern in Acts. The pattern is people hear the gospel, people believe the gospel, people are saved and baptized. Okay, It's that order every time. You hear, you believe, you're baptized. Okay, next, pattern of Judea, pattern of baptism, sorry, the pattern of baptism. In the Old Testament, we saw that Gentiles entering Judaism, that's what we call the Jewish religion, Judaism. When Gentiles entered Judaism, they dipped themselves in water. Number two, John the Baptist's converts were what? They were dipped in water. Number three, when we enter the new covenant of Jesus Christ, guess what? We are dipped in water. What do all three of these things have in common? Water. Well, water. Yeah, you're dipped in water. What, what, what's going on here, though? Why the water? What does it symbolize again? Cleansing. Cleansing. You're leaving the old behind, and you're embracing the new. Leaving the old, living the new. For the Gentiles in the Old Testament, they were leaving behind their idolatry. They were leaving behind their mythology, their false worship of false gods, and they were embracing Yahweh. They were leaving their sin, following God. 
for John's converts before Jesus, they were leaving their sin and their false religion, and they were embracing God in repentance. In the new covenant, you and I are called to repent of our sin, confess Jesus as Savior, leave the old behind, and embrace the new. And that's what baptism brings to mind. Go to Romans chapter 6, right after Acts, Romans chapter 6. So we've understood now, I hope you understand the history of baptism, where it comes from, why we do it, what it means, leaving the old, embracing the new, death to life, all that good stuff, being cleansed from sin. Romans chapter 6, lastly tonight, I want us to understand what it all means. Why baptism? Why dipping in water? Why not sprinkling? Why not putting a sign of the cross on your forehead? Why baptism by immersion, completely dipping you in the water and bringing you out? Romans chapter 6, first six verses, starting in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of God the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Listen to all this united union stuff. For if we have been united with him in a death like his... We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So why baptism by immersion? One, Romans chapter 6, salvation requires dying to sin. Jesus said, if you are going to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. When Jesus said that, when Jesus took up his cross, where was he going? To die. And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me and be my disciple, you deny yourself, you take up your cross, and you follow me. Salvation requires dying to sin. Two, baptism depicts the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Pouring water on a baby, on a child, or some churches, they will pour water on an adult if they want that. Pouring water on you or anyone, or being sprinkled with water, or being done the sign of the cross on with water, does not and cannot contain the same message that baptism by immersion carries. Because when you are baptized by immersion, you are portraying and symbolizing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's just common sense. When you look at someone being baptized, you see that. You see them go down, and you see them come up. They go under the water, and they come out of the water. You cannot look at a baby being sprinkled or poured on and see that. There's no way you can see it. You see water, you might think cleansing, but you don't see this imagery that you are dying with Jesus and you are being raised to newness of life. Number three, baptism. Now remember that thing I told you to circle earlier and why it's so important. Baptism identifies us with Christ. What did I tell you Jesus was baptized for? Why, why was Jesus baptized? To what? To identify with us. Jesus took a baptism that wasn't his. 
He didn't need repentance. He didn't need cleansing from sin. He didn't deserve the cross. He didn't deserve God's wrath. But he identified with you and me by taking those things. Baptism was how he showed he did it. I'm identifying with these sinners. Jesus was what? Not sinful, but sin, sinless, perfect, holy, righteous, any number of things. So if Jesus, this is so good, if Jesus identifies with you and me as sinners by being baptized and then carries that to the cross and dies and suffers God's wrath because of it, what do you receive? What do you identify with when you identify with Jesus? If he identifies and takes your sin and your imperfection and your death, what do you receive by identifying with him? Sinlessness, perfection, righteousness, holiness. There's an exchange made. Jesus took the identity that is yours and killed it on the cross. When you embrace him by faith and you're made one with him, he took what is yours and mm, you get what is his. You get perfection. So when you stand before God and God says, I require perfection, I require holiness. Are you going to point to yourself? Who are you going to point to? Jesus. Jesus. He's my Savior. He pleads on my behalf, and I am in Him. That's salvation. That's what the gospel is, and that's what baptism symbolizes. Ephesians chapter 4, last scripture reference tonight. Ephesians chapter 4, very quickly. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Someone tell me the uh, title of this chapter. Unity in the body of Christ. Now, that's, that's not inspired. Paul didn't write that on top of this paragraph. That's just the editor helping you understand what this is about. Verse 1, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Listen to these things. With all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in the church, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. For there is one body... And one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This tells us some significant things about baptism. Very quickly, number one, baptism is a body event. I put body in quotation marks because I'm talking about the body of Christ, the church, the collection of people. So we think about corporate worship. You know, everybody being together. Baptism is not an event that should always, it's not a regular thing that should happen in private. That makes sense? That means it should be done in the corporate gathering of the church. And we're going to talk about why. It's a body event. It's a church event. It's not a private, individualized event. Number two, baptism shows our union with Christ and his body, the church. Because when we are baptized into Jesus, we are being baptized into his body, into his members. We're being made part of his bride. We are becoming part of something bigger than ourselves. That's what Paul's whole point here is. Live together in unity. Be humble with each other. Be loving. Be patient and be kind. Because Jesus did not come to just save you. Jesus came to save all of you in the church. 
And when you are baptized, it's funny that Paul points to baptism as a reason for this. He says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. See, everything is unified into one. When you are baptized, you're leaving everything else that defined you behind. You're leaving your sin behind. You're leaving your false worship behind, just like the Gentiles, remember? Coming to the new, uh, Old Covenant, just like those coming to John's Covenant. You leave all of that behind, and you literally die to yourself, and you die to sin, and you die to your old ways. And you are raised to new life in Christ. And part of that is joining the local church. Number three, baptism joins us to a local church. Many of us, unfortunately, in our generation don't understand what church membership means. We know that we join a church. Some people just want to come forward on a Sunday and tell Pastor John, hey, I like this church, I think I want to join. And Pastor John's very, very methodical about leading people to what it means to do church membership. When you want to join a church, biblically speaking, you are willingly committing yourself to them and committing yourself to the submission, to be submitted to the elders of that church, the pastors of that church. And when you are baptized in a Baptist church, typically it means you are joining that local church. It means not only now are you a full voting member of that church and you take part in decisions like the budget, as boring as you think that is, that's the life of the church. You take part in voting on new pastors, new deacons, new elders. You are brought into the life and the full privileges of the church. Other than that, you're now admitted to the Lord's table to receive communion, which we'll talk about next week. Baptized believers receive the Lord's Supper because you are now a member of the local church. So let's look at this. Those people that were saved in Acts chapter 2 asked Peter, what should we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized. Many of you tonight might understand the gospel. I hope that if you have been in this Wednesday night study for very long with me, you have heard the gospel again and again and again and again and again. And if any of you still do not understand what the gospel is, it is your fault because I have told you week after week after week after time after time that it is Jesus who lived a sinless life, died on your behalf, was buried, and was raised again, and that that provides salvation for those who believe in him. That's the gospel. You're a sinner. God's perfect. He bridges the gap with Jesus you get there by faith, okay? That's the gospel. First thing you need to do is understand and believe the gospel. Before you come asking about baptism, the first thing I'm going to do when you come asking to be baptized is ask you what? What is the gospel? And if it's um, Jesus, the Bible says, the word of God, it's not the gospel. It's good stuff, not the gospel. I'm going to ask you, what is the gospel? So one, understand and believe the gospel. Number two, repent. Turn away from sin and self. Repentance is some, sometimes a weird word. It makes us think about doing good things or stop sinning. It literally means a change of mind and a change of course. You turn away from turning yourself, of serving yourself, and you turn to Jesus. Number three, baptism is how you show this. So many of you tonight understand the gospel. That's great. That's great if you understand the gospel. It's great if you have believed it in your heart. But God says, Jesus says, obey me and take the next step. If you understand the gospel, that's great. If you believed in Jesus and the gospel, that's great. The next step for you, how you show that, you might be left wondering, what do I do? 
What do I, what do, I do now? You know, I've signed the contract. I believe I'm a Christian. I, I, whatever. I don't know what to do. Many churches might have you say a prayer with them, fill out some sort of card, sign some sort of receipt. I don't know what churches do nowadays. The Bible says be baptized. So next, the next step. One, this is just on the screen. One, talk to a pastor. I'm one. Pastor John is one. Pastor Lehman is one. You might feel comfortable talking to me. Number two, meet with a pastor. Number three, obey and be baptized. If you here tonight have believed in the gospel, you have believed in Jesus, but you are putting off baptism, you are living in sin and in disobedience because Jesus wants you to identify with him publicly and to submit yourself to the local church. And all that stuff is what baptism means. So lastly, read this with me. Corporate worship and eternity. Read it with me. Corporate worship is a foretaste of eternity as we receive and celebrate baptisms. The visible way people profess their faith in Jesus Christ and join themselves to the local church. And then lastly, why do we baptize? Because Jesus gave baptism to his church so that they might display their union with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. All right, listen, before I pray, I'm giving a very simple invitation, not, not like music and come pray here. I mean, I mean, an invitation to talk to me. Every week I tell you, if you don't know what the gospel is, if you don't know who Jesus is, talk to me and we'll settle that up. It's very important. Beyond that, if you are here tonight and say, I don't know why he keeps saying that, I believe in Jesus. I believe the gospel. I believe this stuff he's talking about every week. I want to have Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to believe the gospel. I know what all that means. If that's you, you don't know what to do next, and you have not been baptized, come talk to me tonight. I'm not going to baptize you right now. I'm not going to ask you to be baptized Sunday. This is going to start the process of talking leading up to baptism. That's very important. Again, if you refuse to do that and you're saved, you're in disobedience. It's that simple. Next invitation is a little, is a little sensitive. If you were saved at a very young age and you may or may not have understood what salvation is and you think since then you have really been saved and you understand the gospel and you wish to be baptized because earlier you were just maybe dipped in water, talk to me. And we will talk about rebaptism, although there's no such thing. You'll be baptized for real. Or maybe you just need to get saved. Maybe you don't remember that experience when you were three, four, or five, or however old. Maybe you didn't know what the gospel is. You need to be saved, and you need to be baptized. Let's pray, and if that's you, just talk to me after. I'm not going to hold you here a long time. I'm going to get your name, your email, and we'll talk about a time to meet. Do not put off baptism. More importantly, do not put off salvation. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this night. Thank you for bringing us here to study your word. Thank you for the New Testament sign of baptism. I ask that you would convict our hearts tonight to live in obedience to you by submitting ourselves to baptism. I ask for those here tonight that know the gospel, that believe the gospel, and are ready to profess that gospel, who are on the verge of submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I ask that you would bring them to me tonight to begin the topic, the talk about baptism, because it is the next step. It is the first step into the body of Christ. For those that aren't saved tonight, send your Holy Spirit right now to convict their hearts of the need for the gospel, their need for Jesus, their need for a Savior, 
the intensity of hell and the seriousness of your judgment on their sin and show them the mercy of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And ask all these things in his name. Amen. That's all for this midweek edition of Living Faith. Listen in every week for more from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. You don't want to miss any of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Roll Down, Judgment and Restoration in the Prophecy of Amos. Our senior pastor, John Beck, will be walking us through that important Old Testament book in the coming weeks. For more information about FBC 180, the youth and family ministry of First Baptist Church, you can go to our website at fbc180.com. You can find our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash First Baptist Avon Park Youth. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash FBCAP180. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. Our Sunday service begins at 1045 in the morning. You can find all this information and more at fbcap.net. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next time on Living Faith.